pretty much every day now in the age, uh, probably the Herald Sun too, we get articles about um, property prices in Melbourne. Uh, especially even if you look at the prices in the inner north, um, for those who live in the inner north, which is most of us, um, we know either if you're buying or renting, it's skyrocketing. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of us have experienced different times the real stresses around that. I want you to imagine this scenario though. Imagine if you're in the situation of looking for a rental property and a landlord just called you up out of the blue and said, I've actually got property for you. You can move in now. It's a great place. It's lots of bedrooms, backyard, front yard. It's renovated, high ceilings, ducted heating. It's got a big spa, you know, it's everything you've always wanted. Um, a cinema room. And um, so you, you, you look at your finances and you go, okay, that's great. And you move into the house and you're like, whoa, this is amazing. This, this landlord has really, this is too good to be true. Hopefully there's no catch involved here. Anyway, the time comes to um, pay your rent and you, and you get all your cash together and you, you, you organise your finances. And it's still a fair amount of money that you've got to pay because it's the inner north and rent is expensive around here. But you got into the housing market, at least as a renter, and uh, you hand over your rent, and then immediately you, the, the landlord rings back and says, thanks for your, paying your first rent, I've just transferred it back into your account. And uh, what I want you to do is spend a bit of that on yourself, um, buying things that you need, food, you know, the stuff for living, but share it around your neighbours, and maybe as well, look out for some people in your area that are poor and um, struggling and give some to them. You would just be absolutely blown away. You would be ringing up the Australia Council and saying, I want to recommend this landlord for Australian of the Year. Uh, it's a scenario that probably none of us have ever heard of. We would be on John Fain the next morning, wouldn't we? Well, let's look now at Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 29, because here we will discover that God is that landlord. That's exactly who he is. This passage tells us the instructions about the concept of tithing, which most Christians and non-Christians would have heard the word tithe. And if we've been around the church for a while, we would have heard this idea of tithing 10%. You would have heard that used. But I suspect many of us also aren't completely sure how Deuteronomy 14 and the rules and the laws for Israel back then apply now. And there might be some confusion some guilt even, maybe some strong ideas that we carry. Uh, either way, how we use our money is it, it's fundamental to who we are as Christians. It really is, especially for Western people who have money, a lot of money in the world standard, it's a real test for us. So, you know, as Jesus said, where our treasure is, 
they're the desires of our heart is as well. So I want to dig down into what tithing is all about and answer this question of how we are to give at Mary Creek. How we are to give at Mary Creek. The first idea is this. We should give generously because God is generous. Look at verse 22. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all, all, your, all that your fields produce each year. So the Israelites were farmers. It was an agrarian society. And usually what farmers did, and they still do today, is they, they would farm, but they would um, pay like a tax or a rent to the rich landowner. But Israel had a bit of a unique understanding about who the landowner was. For them, the landowner was Yahweh. Bit of an unusual landowner. So the tithe was a law for them that stated that there would be a yearly reckoning of produce. And therefore, they could work out what was owed to Yahweh. And this tithe is it's like unlike any other kind of tax that you might experience today. Because the, the owner, the landowner Yahweh, doesn't want or even need the money. He doesn't need what Israel is offering. Listen to God's words in Psalm 50 verse 9. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. So for this reason, the tithe, which is brought to the place for Yahweh, is then given back to Israel, who is to eat and enjoy the offering. God doesn't really need it. He gives it back. Look at verse 23. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he would choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn, this is the key, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Eating and enabling others to eat and be satisfied was a sign for Israel of their enjoyment of God and his blessing that flowed. From their obedient response. So Yahweh, he doesn't really want the produce for himself. Nevertheless, he makes them do it as a gesture uh, to demonstrate his generosity. So as they give, they're saying, God, you're so generous, we're giving back. One of the main functions of the tithe, then, it's a teaching tool. It's God's teaching tool. It's teaching Israel about what God is like. He is, in fact... Yahweh the generous. He is the true owner of the land. He is the giver of life. He takes Israel's grateful tithe and gives it back to them in yet another wave of generosity. Australian of the year. <laughs> the tithe should be brought to the place where Yahweh's name is present and this served to show the, the unequal relationship of the owner and the tenant. Let's just think a bit more about God, the generous ruler. Listen to the words from Psalm 65. God is so generous. He visits the earth and causes it to overflow. He greatly enriches it. The stream of God 
is full of water. He waters its trenches abundantly. He settles its ridges. He softens it with showers. He blesses its growth. He has crowned the year with his bounty and his paths drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip and the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. The meadows are clothed with flocks and the valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. Who is God? He is the father who, when his son returns from being a rebel, lavishly gives him the best cloak and the gold ring and a party and kills a fatted calf. John 1 verse 16 says, For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. Paul writes in Romans 11, For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. Amen. So Yahweh is not one of those, um, you know, Babylonian type gods, to use another example, who craves, who needs stuff, who's in competition with other gods and is saying who's getting the most. In God's economy, there's more than enough to go around. So if you're into economic theory, which I'm not, but, you know, I like to pretend I am at parties, um, in the kingdom of God... There's an economy of surplus, always. Tony Abbott goes on about surplus this, surplus that. All of our governments have in the last couple of decades, it seems like. It's just an obsession with surplus. They, ne- they can never really do it that easily, can they? But in God's economy, there's always more than enough to go around. And the, the tithe is when we give back, or when Israel give, give what was duly God's back to God, This is a dramatisation of this economy of surplus. There's so much to go around, we can just give it back. And then God gives it back to us and the money just flows. It's the loaves and the fishes all over again, isn't it? Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and they were all satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces, bread and fish. I mean, that is the economy of surplus. You go to the restaurant, there's 12 baskets full of fish for you. In the kingdom of God, there is more than enough. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that the poor and everyone always gets the money that is and the stuff that is there for them. And this is why Israel needs to develop good organised and well-administered habits of generosity. There's a principle that is trying to be overlaid onto Israel, which is God is generous, Israel should be generous too. They are the children of God. They should follow their Father in Heaven's instructions and uh, be generous so that when foreigners see their generosity, they'll say, Man, they're amazing. Where do they get that generosity from? They get it from Yahweh. And what is true for Israel is also true for us, isn't it? We need to remember that the land we live on is God's. The possessions we own, inverted commas, we don't really own, they're in fact God's possessions. 
the money we earn actually belongs to God. And so there's a little principle for us here. The private pursuit of wealth for its own sake is not consistent with being a Christian because actually God owns the land and the money anyway. You might pursue wealth for other reasons and that might be good, like to use it for good or to be generous to others. But to just build it up for its own sake is a pointless exercise for the Christian. We are in fact managers of God's money, not owners. He has given it to us out of his generous heart. So when we give our money to ministry and the poor, we are not only acknowledging God's generosity, but we are initiating or imitating God's generosity. But let's think some more about this, about the generous God, because um, in Jesus we see the personification of generosity. Because it was at an infinite cost to him that he gave us not just a tithe, not just 10%, but everything that he had. All of his wealth, the wealth of the Son of God, he gave to us as, as like a lamb going to the slaughter on a brutal Roman cross. And this gives us security and joy to give away our wealth. The only real long-term security we can have is to be rich in Jesus. This is what should really drive our generosity more than anything else. Don't be generous because I've just told you to or don't be generous because you feel a duty Listen to what Paul wrote in uh, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Giving is voluntary. And really for Christians now, there is no uh, set percentage. And I'll talk a bit more about that later. But we look for Christ in our direction here. We look to Christ uh, for our motivation to give. Being generous with our money is what it means to live the cross-shaped life. It's the imitation of Christ. It's a reminder of who God is. It's the natural response of a people who know the grace of Jesus in their life. God's generosity. So we should cheerfully give as much as we have decided based on how much the Lord has prospered us. It's certainly true that God has been generous to Mary Creek. We have an unusually strong position as a church plan. We're 18 months in and we can afford about 1.2 staff. We have an amazing facility here. Not that we own it, we rent it, but that's partly a financial decision and partly necessity. Um, We have great offices um, where we try and be um, conscientious and um, good stewards with our money. Nevertheless, we're in a pretty strong position. My ministry coach, Ken, who's been coaching church planters for about 25 years, says that what we have at Mary Creek um, is, is 
quite unusual in terms of our financial position. Um, sure, we've had support from um, St Hilary's significant support and we received the grant from GFS, which we saw, um, we were talked about last week. Um, this is all God's generosity. The money moves around the kingdom of God you know, in the economy of surplus. So Mary Creek can say, how generous is God? So let's be joyful. You know, when we talk about money at Mary Creek, and let's, we don't actually talk about it heaps. This is the first time I've preached on it in 18 months. We can talk about it with joy in our hearts. Our church economy needs to be rooted in God's generous heart. From this, we will soon see that there is more than enough to go around. So in about a month's time, after the school holidays, because we're about to go into school holidays, we'll be handing you giving forms and we'll start to have uh, the information about our new bank accounts that we have at Mary Creek on the back of the booklet every week. And when you prayerfully consider how much you're wanting to give to um, the ministry at our church. Some of you will be sure and you'll know and, and this will be something that you really find um, you can do as a Christian. It's, it's, it's a kind of a act of service that you get a lot of joy out of. Whereas others of you will be confused. It'll be something that you'll struggle a bit over because you, you won't be sure how much you can give and you won't be sure how much you should give and You'll be looking at your own finances and be worried. How, how much can you afford? It's at that time that I, I recommend you meditate on God's generosity to you, on God's generosity to Mary Creek. Think about this economy of surplus. Be generous in response to God's generosity. Our, our church costs about 180000 a year to run now um, and that includes the cost of the staff and the rent and also our mission giving which we've just um, as a church council agreed to commit to which is 10% of our of, of our projected budget that's a kind of a crude summary but that's roughly what we're doing and um, uh, last week the wardens and the treasurer and I um, we met and we we decided we'd set as an aspirational goal um, for our um, our giving at Mary Creek, a short-term new goal of 200,000. Um, now, we've, we've, we've got about 110 adults in our church, um, not every week on a Sunday, but in our church community. And we think if about 80% of them gave uh, about $50 a week each, then we would be able to reach that goal of 200,000. It's about $200 a month per adult. Now, some of you can and want to do that, could do that. Some of you could do a lot more than that, and some of you would struggle to do that. And we're not saying there's a kind of a, a rule here, but this is kind of us looking at the figures and looking at how much Mary Creek people can give and do give. And we think this is doable. Um, either way, the, the, the figure is not so much important. What's important is that you, between you and God, and your family, you give generously because God is generous. If there is any obstacle to being generous for Christians, I have found the biggest obstacle is not being a Scrooge. Most Christians are pretty generous uh, in, in their kind of... Um, they, they, well, they, they kind of would like to think of themselves as generous at least, and some are generous. But it's disorganisation that actually stops a lot of us from being generous. You, you don't get around to it. 
but don't let that be your excuse. Jesus regarded stewardship as of finances as an indication of trustworthiness with other things, with spiritual things. You might want to look up Luke 16, verse 11 in your own time. Or Matthew 6, verse 19 to 20. I love the quote from Rick Warren, which is on the back of your booklet, where he says, Money is the acid test of your faithfulness. God uses it more than any other thing in your life to test your faith. Why? Because it's a thing we have the hardest time with. It's a real black and white test how we use our money, isn't it? Listen to Paul's words in 1 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. We are rich, so we should not be conceited, nor should we fix our hope on the uncertainty of riches, but we should fix our hope on God, who richly supplies us with good things to enjoy. So we should be generous because God is generous. But secondly, we should give at Mary Creek for the benefit of our community. Look at verse 24 and 25. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. As the territory of Israel expanded, uh, they became more and more spread out. So the transport of the tithe became more and more difficult, transporting it to, the, to a, you know, a place where Yahweh's name was. So to accommodate this produce, um, they could convert it into cash and then at that place um, use it for the benefit of the community. Um, they could take their grain, they could take their, their cattle and they could turn it into money and bless the community. And this showed that the tithe was not meant to be a, a massive stress, it was meant to be a joyful thing. Uh, something that could be done with energy and passion. Um, God didn't want the tyranny of distance to get in the way of Israel's generosity. Look at verse 26. Use the silver to buy whatever you like. Cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, whiskey, cognac. No, it doesn't say that. Or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. Economy of surplus. This was a kind of tax to help build the local community. And it was to also help those in ministry. Look at verse 27. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. So the Levites were the priestly teaching community that had no land and no produce for the tithe. They were the carriers of the Mosaic tradition. So at the centre of the Hebrew concept of the tithe was that the money it should remain within the framework of the covenant community um, and for covenantal purposes, for for Israel's purposes. Um, This is why you should use it for the Israelites and you should use it for the Levites. This improves Israel's position in God's kingdom. One of the reasons I think um, we should be grateful to God and his generosity at Mary Creek is because of Beck coming on board. So we've really been blessed by her um, and her family coming to, coming to our church. Um, just some cold heart, apart from the, you know, how great she is as a, in, you know, in a ministry up at Kids Church and um, how, what a significant impact she's had on um, people in our church. Some interesting stats. Um, before she came out, church was averaging about um, 72 on a Sunday. And since she's come, 
we've grown to about 100 on a Sunday. Now, it may be because she's got a huge family and that just boosts her numbers, <laughs> or it could be also because of the impact of her ministry. Um, it's, it's not a one-to-one -one thing, but I, I, I definitely see an impact that she's had on our church. Um, she understands Mary Creek. She understand, she's passionate about the concept of urban ministry, which is something that Mary Creek's trying to do as opposed to suburban ministry. Um, she wants more than anything else for people to know and love Jesus, especially um, the kids. Um, and so one of the reasons why we've got this aspirational goal towards from uh, ex extending our budget from 180 to 200,000, one of the things we're trying to do is to put her up to three days a week. Um, she's got all these amazing opportunities to do ministry amongst us, including amongst uh, the women in our congregation, which uh, she has a passion for, and this would enable her to do that. So what have we been saying? We should give generously at Mary Creek to build up the community, to support the ministry, and to help us to have a strong church. Think of the church in Acts 2. They were captivated by God's generosity. They shared their possessions. Nobody was in need. That's something that we could aim for. And thirdly and lastly, we should give it Mary Creek for the poor and the marginalised. Look at 28 and 29. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your town so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So every three years they do something a little bit different. They still acknowledge God's generosity as they had been doing. They still include the Levites um, as they had been doing. They still give joyfully as they had been doing. But they also do two new things. Um, they didn't have to take the tithe to a place of Yahweh, but they should keep it in their own town. And uh, that didn't bother God. But he wanted them to set aside 10% for the community and the tithe within their own town should be used for the disadvantaged who have, uh, don't have any land. Those who do not have any land, bring an offering to them. The resident aliens, the refugees, the fatherless, the orphan, orphans, the widows, the poor. These are principles to create a, a lavish, lavish culture of generosity. And, and notice an important shift here. This is a theological point now. An offering to God here is being transposed into an offering to the neighbour. The Bible scholar Frank Kruseman made this fascinating observation for those interested in um, public policy. Kruseman says, We might call this the beginning of real social legislation. It represents the first known tax for a social program. With it, those who were landless and socially weak received a sure support which was guaranteed by law and public oath to bring agricultural produce. The tithe then really isn't a transaction of cash or possessions, it's a transaction of generosity and gratitude. And to not understand this is to be on the wrong page. Jesus once, he threw his hands up in frustration at the scribes and the Pharisees who actually were strict with their 10% but missed the whole point. Matthew 23, verse 23, 24, Jesus goes, You hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, 
but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. What Deuteronomy 14 shows us is that for Israel, the notion of the tithe was meant to be a glad and joyful contribution to enhance the economy. And the Pharisees, they'd forgotten that. I said I'd mention something about the 10% question because many Christians want to explore that. And for some church traditions, that's a very strict thing that, that, that you give 10%. The New Testament does not say that Christians have to give 10%. Um, there's no sense in which that figure is transported into the New Testament. However, it does reiterate many things which we've said so far. And I just want to remind you of them to see what, what the New Testament is saying. It is saying, um, in, in, in kind of harmony with Deuteronomy 14... First of all, the people in ministry should be financially supported by the church community. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 14, The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Secondly, the poor and needy should be cared for. Paul says um, to the Corinthian church, Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Uh, thirdly, those who give can trust God as the source of all that is given to supply their needs. And that's, that's a, that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10 and Philippians 4 verse 19, um, it's a similar idea, isn't it? Economy of surplus, don't worry. Uh, also 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, giving should be done joy, joyfully. That's, that's about as much as we get from the New Testament. We're set free from the figure of 10%, but that doesn't mean we should then take that as a license to be scroogey or un ungenerous or selfish. It, it should make us um, excited to be part of God's amazing economy of surplus. One of the reasons our budget is also growing uh, and we want to stretch um, to from 180 to 200,000 is because our church council has com committed a kind of a tithe for our church to mission giving. And we're seriously considering uh, these three projects, which I mentioned in an email, but I just want to mention it again um, from the front here. Um, Dumba, uh, which is uh, Tears Indigenous Support Program, we want to support that. And that is a, um, uh, it's a operating out of the Northern Territory and t uh, Dumba sort of channels money to different projects, Christian projects amongst Aboriginal people. Uh, secondly, um, we want to support Rob Miller, who's sitting here today. Rob, stick your hand, actually stand up, just so everyone knows who exactly you are. <laughs> Rob can handle it, you can sit down now. So Rob is the campus director of Christian Union at Melbourne University, and we think um, it's really um, important that we support him, um, and uh, what, what better way to use our um, missions giving than to do that that's such a strategic ministry um, in our neighbourhood, um, reaching hundreds of um, Christian and non-Christian students, um, one of the most effective evangelistic ministries um, and important ministries um, that produce future leaders in the church as well. 
And thirdly, uh, we want to establish a new um, trust fund to support other church plants. So if you do a church plant in Melbourne, there's very few places you can go for funding. Um, and so we've got an idea that we could set up a trust fund that other churches can contribute to as well and that we might sort of uh, bring together, uh, you know, um, enough churches to make it a significant amount of money. And then as people get funded, as churches get funded, church plants, that a condition on being funded is that they then become a contributor to the fund as well. So over time it would grow and then there would be this um, great opportunity so that's part of what it means to support the community and support the poor. So what can I say uh, about what we said to, uh, this morning? We should give generously because God is generous. We should give generously to build up the community and to support ministry. We should give generously for the poor and the marginalised. Let me finish with Ephesians 1 verse 3 and then we can have questions. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place in Christ. Amen.